Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay, and we're continuing our discussion with Matthew Fox, joins us again in Berkeley, California. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Paul. Uh, just quickly, Matthew's a former Catholic priest who was first stopped from teaching liberation theology and creation spirituality by Cardinal Ratzinger, and was then expelled from the Dominican Order in 1993, where he had belonged there for 34 years. He's written over three dozen books, including Original Blessing. And that's part of the story of your becoming in conflict with some of the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. So we left the story off. You've, you've been in Paris. You've engaged with being influenced by liberation theology, the beginnings of liberation theology. If I understand it through talking with you, the Dominican order is this sort of subset in the Catholic Church that has its own culture, microculture, I guess you could say, but still it's within the Church and the Pope is still the Pope. Mm. And uh, do you, when, when do you start having, or do you, start having doubts and questions about just where the leadership of the Church is taking the Church? <laughs> well, again, um, I made my vows when Pope John Twenty-Third was Pope. And for me, he was a real mensch. He was a real human being, and he reached out to non-Christians and non-believers and so forth, and, uh, uh, and he's the one who called the Vatican Council. So that spirit of ecumenism and, and uh, uh, human beings getting together to uh, get over war and get out of something a little more fruitful, uh, I think that, that his spirit fed that whole movement in the 1960s. And, um, and I was on board for that, absolutely. Uh, and when he died, of course, and Pope Paul VI took over, um, uh, he, he, in fact, was considered quite progressive, etc. And in John, uh, Pope John's mode. But um, he came up with that encyclical Humanae Vitae, which shut the door on changing birth control. And that drove a lot of young priests out the door because they could not in conscience propose that for married couples and so forth. And of course then you also had liberation theology really taking root in, in Latin America in the late 60s and um, uh, base communities and so forth and that was important. Then there was another pope who only lived one month, uh, John Paul I, and he seemed to be really in Pope John XXIII's spirit. He was very much a person of the people, etc. And he died very suddenly. I mean, investigations demonstrate he was murdered. And so, then, so did you think so at the time? Because I know a lot of people thought I so did. at the time. I thought it was extremely suspicious. Extremely. And and he, he'd been assassinated. He'd been assassinated. And there are major books out that demonstrate that. Serious investigations. Then came... Well, before you go yeah. further, so I didn't have a problem with these people. I thought they. But what? But lot, you said a lot of priests left, um, and and yeah. then the but pope is assassinated. Yeah. Why do you why do you stick it out? Well, I, I I think that there is a lot of potential there, and of course, my field was spirituality, and I was seeing the the importance of bringing spirituality to the political issues. Uh, of course, the civil rights movement, you know, people forget the civil rights movement came out of the black church. You know, I think some secularists... And, think King, just and King talks about place. God all the time. Well, of course, and he was supported by the church and, and all that. And, um, 
And of course, his mentor was a wonderful Howard Thurman, a brilliant African-American uh, mystic, one of the great mystics of North America. And, um, uh, and then, of course, the, then you had, the, of course, the, uh, the women's movement. And I was teaching for four years in a women's college. And that really radicalized me as a feminist because I heard the stories of women. In my family, there was not oppression of women. In fact, my father sat us all down once at the table uh, and he said, I can't afford to send all your kids to college, so here's the deal. I will send you girls to college, but you boys have to get scholarships. It's much easier for boys to get scholarships than girls. This was 1950s. So, you know, my father, even though he was a Republican, he was also awakened by my mother to the equality of gender. And I just grew up in that context, but of course a lot of women didn't. And um, so, and then there was the ecological movement, and of course the gay and lesbian movement too. All that was happening. And I, I felt all along that you had to bring spirituality to this to help ground it. Because look what happened in the 60s. You had people, anti-war people, who, but who ended up floating into drugs and all this. And you know, that doesn't, that doesn't get a lot done, <laughs> uh, culturally and politically. And, and like you frame a lot of your discourse politically. What do you mean when you say spirituality? What does that mean? Well, for me, spirituality is um, uh, reaching into your depths. It's, it's working out of your depths, out of your heart and your head. Not just your head, not just your anger, not just your emotions, but your heart and your head. And um, uh, so there's, there's discipline involved. And, um, and of course, meditation is, is important because it helps us to let go and to, to have a clearer view of, of ourselves and our participation. So we're not just projecting on one another. You know, uh, politics as anger is just reptilian brain, is the word I would use today. But we have to go deeper than the reptilian brain to get things done. We have to deal with, with people's hurt, people's woundedness, but also our capacity for forgiveness. And I mean, what Gandhi did and what King did with it in terms of nonviolence and what Mandela did with it, this is real. These are real political movements that, that change things uh, with very little um, death and violence. But it takes an, a change on the inside to be able to deal with uh, violence and be brave enough to, uh, to not respond in kind. And that's what King was teaching us and that's what Gandhi was teaching us. And of course, Gandhi got it from Jesus by way of Tolstoy. So it's, it's quite a lineage there. Gandhi said, I learned to say no from the West. So that prophetic no, that's a Jewish thing, to say no to injustice. That's, and Marx had that too. Marx was Jewish. He had no to injustice. And, and this is what liberation theology was saying, that love and justice are the same words. You can't separate love from justice. Otherwise, love is just a sentimental thing that you see on soap operas. And, and justice is, the, is kind of the test of love. So I found all that very attractive, and I felt um, called to make my modest contribution, whatever that was. The way you're talking sounds an awful like someone who's known as Jesus. <laughs> uh, except talking that way brought you into real confrontation with the leadership of the Catholic Church, with the Vatican. Well, and you write a book in, in 84, is it? Uh, called uh, The Original Blessing, which one would think sounds a lot like Jesus, <laughs> except it begins a road of you getting kicked out of the church. What is that all about? 
Well, um, you know, when, when, when you stir the pot, it, it, um, it uh, disturbs people. And Jesus disturbed people, and, um, and he paid a price. And, and King stirred people, and he paid a price, and Gandhi too. So that's, that's kind of how the story goes. And that's the, prophetic, the story of the prophets in, in Israel too. So it, life isn't about surviving. It's about standing for something, and um, uh, and then the chips fall where they may, you know. So, it, what is integrity, you know, if not standing for something, something worth standing for? So, uh, and you don't stand alone. You stand with allies. There are all kinds of movements that echo the principles that Jesus had, and so forth. Now, my book, Original Blessing, it, it was very disturbing to the Vatican and. So worth because in so many ways they've built their structure on the idea of original sin. But what I prove in my book is Jesus never heard of original sin. It's not a Jewish idea at all. It's not in the Bible. It came, the first person to use the phrase was St. Augustine, fourth century, which was the very century where the church took over the empire. So as I say, if you're going to run an empire, original sin is a great idea because it gets everyone confused about their right to be here and about their beauty. And, and it gets them in line to join the army and kill people in the name of your God or something. So uh, I, I came out pretty strong and I said, well, look at, look at the universe. See, my interest is what I call creation spirituality. Look at nature, look at creation. It's 13.8 billion years of gifting on the part of, of the original fireball, of the, of the supernovas, of the, of the birth of the, the solar system, of the sun, of the moon, of the planet. All this is, is a blessing. Blessing is just a word for goodness. It's awful. We're awful lucky. Things are awful good for us, that the moon's just the right distance from the earth, etc., etc. So uh, why don't we begin talking about the blessing? In fact, the Bible begins, the first page of the Bible goes on and on about goodness. Everything is goodness, and then it concludes, it's very good when humans came along. Well, the theological word for goodness is blessing. So religion should begin with blessing, not with sin. Sin is human, that's the human thing. So that's leaving out 13.7 billion years of, of the unfolding of the universe, of God's work, if you will, to begin with sin. It's so anthropocentric or narcissistic, to use Pope Francis's very, very apt phrase, or narcissism as a species. Religion cannot be healthy if it begins with narcissism. And then if you begin with original sin, it's bad politics because it, it makes people victims. And it doesn't empower. It's bad psychology. And, as I proved, it's bad theology. It's, it's not what Jesus ever heard of in his life. Ellie Weissel actually says that original sin is not only not in the Bible, it's alien to Jewish thinking. Alien. Well, that's an amazing thing, coming from a Jew, because Jesus was a Jew. So the idea of original sin is alien to Jesus. Well, I think this was too much for the two popes who condemned right. my work. They called my work, uh, quote, dangerous and deviant, unquote. JP2. JP2 and Ratzinger. Um, Cardinal Ratzinger, who essentially led the Inquisition for JP2. That's right. JP2 brought back the Inquisition because they silenced 108 theologians, of which I'm one. That's, I think about, that's like General Motors silence, you know, shutting down all their engineers. Go home, we don't need you. You know, what's next? Well, I'll tell you what's next. Pedophilia is next. Because you got a lot of stupid people taking over. Only yes men get, have been ordained bishops for the last 
35 years. Now, this new pope is, is choosing better people. But for 34 years, under those previous two popes, you had nothing but yes-men. That was the only quality, really, to become a bishop. And, and so th this is what you get. You get a dumbed-down church, and you get the young people stumbling over each other to leave. The, the pope that you were saying is assassinated. Um, there's a lot of people have speculated that one, the CIA might have been involved in the assassination, and they also might have been involved in the choice of JP2. Well, I'll tell you because this. they wanted to bring down the Polish uh, government. Uh, this is a true story. When shortly after Reagan was um, uh, inaugurated in March, that's what a month or two later, there's a big meeting of the National Security Agency or Council in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they had one question: How could we destroy liberation theology in Latin America? And they went on for, I don't remember, 10 days or something. And this was their conclusion. We cannot kill it, but we can split the church. And then they went after the Pope and said, we'll give you this money for solidarity in Poland if you kill, you know, go after liberation theology in South America. And the, the, CIA, agent, the CIA head, he was an Opus Dei Catholic far right-wing guy, he personally made 29 trips to the Vatican with satchels full of cash. This is proven. I have the footnotes on this in my book, The Pope's War. And uh, so it was a quid pro quo. And uh, they got what they wanted. Solidarity became stronger. And, uh, and you know, eventually uh, the Pope Well, certainly the Americans wanted the, fall, the success of solidarity as well. So it wasn't something they didn't want. So. That's right. But, they, but they, they wanted that, and they also wanted the the destruction of liberation theology in South America, and they got both. Yeah. So you write the original blessing, which goes after this concept of uh, original sin as the fundamental foundation, really, of much of what the Catholic Church preaches. And I guess if you have original sin, you need priests in the church to keep absolving you all the time, and you've got to keep paying for this Absolution, I suppose. You give money every Sunday after you sit in, the, in, in confession and get absolved of your piece of original sin. To, uh, and, and you go after that. And it's a, you're going after a fundamental. And you're also going after the Pope, which is who is supposed to be uh, well, beyond, beyond doubt. I'm just trying to um, bring back awareness of what a gift it is to exist. And, to, and the more science tells us about existence, how rare this planet is, and how now we live in a world of two trillion galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars, I mean, it's just an amazing existence. And we should begin religion with awe and wonder and gratitude, uh, and, and, and not with, um, with uh, human sin because the humans are not the be-all and end-all of the universe. Thomas Aquinas said that in the 13th century. He said the most excellent thing in the universe is not the human. The most excellent thing in the universe is the universe itself. <laughs> and that was before we know what we now know about amazing, how amazing the universe is. But that's the tradition. See, what I've done, I didn't make this stuff up. I found this, this teaching in some of our greatest uh, mystics and, and, and thinkers. And, and theologians uh, in, in history. 
uh, in our own history. And with this consciousness, then you can also begin to work with people of other traditions. With Buddhists, for example, we talk about original purity, for example. And, um, but also, even in Christianity, the Eastern Christians never paid attention to St. Augustine. They don't believe in original sin. Uh, they believe in theosis, which means divinizing the universe. We're not here to be redeemed from sin. We're here to divinize the universe. That's their, their language. But, but with that book, you're not just having a philosophical debate about the ble original blessing versus original sin. You're de facto saying the Pope's not infallible. <laughs> well, um, first of all, the, the papacy has never defined original sin, which is part of the problem here. So everyone can project their thing on it. It's like a Rorschach test. So for a person of color, original sin might be that you're a person of color. For a gay person, it might mean that you're gay. For a woman, it's that you're a woman. So, I mean, it just invites all kinds of, of self-abuse, really. And that's why it's so dangerous psychologically. Um, and uh, again... But what I'm saying is when you write that book, you know you're, doing a direct con you're directly confronting an important piece of the belief system, but you're directly confronting the Pope. Well, you know, I... I I, I write in search of truth. I don't, I'm not looking for some um, super ego in the sky named the Pope to, to tell me what's right and wrong. You know, I, I did my own homework and it's never been questioned, frankly, by other theologians since I wrote that. A lot of people have come on board. Uh, so, so it was, what I really did was to identify, I think, and that language, you know, was strong language insofar it, it catches people. Original sin, original blessing. In fact, if at, in fact, I found an Adorak who's Jewish and not Christian. He talks about original wound. He says we're born with an original wound. And I like that language much better than original sin. And of course, we are born into a sinful world. I mean, I think of the people being born, born today in the world of Trump <laughs> or in the world of the collapse of, 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 of the, the, the ecosystem as we know it and so forth. So uh, there's plenty of sin we're born into, but it's not our fault. <laughs> we're, and parent, new parents know that their new beings that they bring in the world are, are beautiful and awesome and all this. So where does all this come from? You know, it comes from a, a, a very neurotic theologian in the fourth century named St. Augustine. And he identifies original sin with sexuality. And that, that's important, because if you're going to understand, the, for example, the pedophile crisis and other issues, and of course, the pedophile crisis is not just a religious problem. When they find it, it's at Michigan State, it's at Ohio State, and the football teams and the wrestling teams and all that. I mean, it's a human problem, and we ought, ought to all be talking about it, what we can do about it. But nevertheless, I think that the, the church has had such a, a shadow-filled teaching about sexuality, including forbidding birth control, and, and at a time when we've already got seven billion humans on the planet, that, you know, that's part of the, of the weight, the gravity of, uh, of, of, uh, of the, the, the teaching of original sin. Okay, in the next segment, we'll continue the discussion about the original sin, sexuality, and how Matthew's book leads to uh, another inquisition, and he's the target of it. Please join us on Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network.